The Winklevi escalate their fight against Barry Silbert and Digital Currency Group, causing Barry Silbert to have to release a letter to investors. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, our favorite three-letter acronym dude, is doing more Sam Bankman-Fried things, so get ready to facepalm. Coinbase (laughs) lays off 20% of its staff, while Binance is looking to increase its staff by 30%. Bankless Nation, it is the second Friday of January. We're in 2023. I hope you're ready for what are we about to give him, David? The Bankless Friday Weekly Roll-Up, Ryan, where we cover the entire weekly news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we persevere nonetheless into 2023, which so far has been bullish. Has been so far bullish. bullish. Numbers are 12 up days. this week. 12 Big days week? of green. Yeah. We've got some yeah. double digit green too. We're yeah. going to get to that uh-huh. in the markets. Uh, also going to talk about digital currency group versus the Winklevoss twins. The fight has escalated even further on Twitter, of course, because mm-hmm. where else do modern people fight? Right. Got to be in public. Got to be on Twitter. <laughs> we'll cover that. We'll, we'll tell you what's going on there. And uh, we'll see if we can draw any conclusions from that. What else are we talking about today? Meanwhile, FTX discovers $5 billion under the couch cushions. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty sweet. Uh, SPF requests access to his Robinhood shares in order to pay for his legal defense. You'll never guess what happens next. Uh, <laughs> and then sadly, Coinbase has to uh, lay off 20% of the staff ahead of crypto winter. But Binance is hiring. Uh, and then sorry. Ryan's also going to walk us through some CPI numbers as well, because we got that literally this morning, just a few Inflation. hours ago. Inflation's deflating. Inflation down. So that's that's good news. Inflation I think. deflation. <laughs> Let's get to markets. We got the happy music. I hope it's happy because oh, it's very happy. Bitcoin mm-hmm. is up. Tell me about it. Oh, it's uh, it's up bigly. It's up eight point seven percent, starting the week at sixteen thousand eight hundred dollars, ending where it is right now. At a whopping eighteen thousand two hundred and fifty dollars, eight point seven percent on the week. Is this uh, up on CPI? Is this up on macro? Is what? Why are we up? Well, yeah, okay, so down. so if you look in the far right on the screen, you see that big red candle that goes from like eighteen thousand dollars down, like eighteen three hundred down that to below eighteen. That was right the after the CPI numbers. print. So yeah. CPI print came out, and then it jumped two hundred dollars down, down two or three hundred dollars, and then immediately jumped right back up to where it is now at $18,250. But it's been running up all throughout the last week or so, and especially yesterday. Uh, this also happened to Ether too. Seventeen, It went from $17,400 and just zoomed straight up to $18,400 inside of like half a day. It's um, Crypto's kind of following the market a little bit, I think. I wonder what the correlation looks like right now. You, you mean trad market? Yeah, trad market, stocks and such. Um, I guess just just more so. Um, well, maybe this was a disproportionately good week for crypto, though, even 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 though uh, trad yeah. markets mm-hmm. went up. Okay, what happened with ETH price? That's a big story, too. Yeah, Ether started the week at $1,250, where it's been hovering around, being just like the $1,200 stablecoin for the past like two months, uh, up 12.5%, all the way up to $1,400. It hit a high of $1,420, which was the high, exact high of 2017, by the way. There's that number again. Yeah. Uh, uh, fell down, did the same thing at Bitcoin. As soon as the CPI print came out, it dropped down to 1350. Uh, but it has since recovered in that moment, back up to $1,400 where we are now. So up 12 and a half percent on the, uh, on the week. The question David and I are about to discuss in a little bit is, uh, have we bottomed yet? Mm-hmm. Think about that listener as we get to the next section. But first we'll talk about the ETH to Bitcoin ratio, an important ratio in this market. What's that showing? 
Uh, we are up three and a half percent on the week. It's been a very good week for the ratio. Uh, it's harder. So like moving it, the ratio is harder than the dollar. Like crypto prices move uh, very a lot versus the dollar, but ether and Bitcoin, they don't move as much in relation to each other. So 3.5% is actually like a decent move. Uh, we are currently clocking in at 0.076. Uh, we hit a high of 0.078. David, uh, this is not the, the ETH of the last bull market of the last no. bear market. Is no. it? This nope. is a totally different, this ETH. Is a different, different. ETH. I think we can see it here. Here's mm-hmm. ultrasound money. Um, a number you and I were looking at uh, earlier in the week was the supply change since the oh my implementation God, it's down of a thousand ETH in a week. Yeah. So over the last 120 days, guys, ETH has only increased in its total issuance, total supply. And this is, of course, selling pressure by 2000 ETH. Right. It's not ultrasound. It's not deflationary at this point, but only 2000 ETH versus what it would normally be and what it was in the previous bear market. We would have added 1.4 million ETH supply. And what does that equate to? David, run some numbers for me. What does that equate to in terms of uh, um, dollar basically terms? Basically, ra- rounding up slightly to $2 billion. $2 billion of sell pressure we, just we eliminated. Not, we did not have. Yeah. And that was in last bear market. No wonder yeah. ETH went all the way down 94% yeah. and yeah. Uh, way underperformed mm-hmm. Bitcoin. Uh, mm-hmm. Different ETH, different asset mm-hmm. completely. And mm-hmm. so I'm actually not surprised to see the gains on the ratio. Let's here. zoom out on this chart really quick, if you don't mind. Let's go out. Let's sure. go out really, really How far also, do you want to go? Uh, oh, now, now the candles are getting super Look, tiny. These cracking uh, charts can do anything. So yeah. we can, uh, yeah. If, if uh, listeners are wondering, these, the sexy new interface is the Kraken Pro new interface. Uh, Kraken Pro has really got a cosmetic upgrade lately. So thank That's you for Kraken glorious. for serving us these ever important prices. I mean, so we have a lot of time left to start filling out these, this bear market candles. Uh, there's probably, I'm, if this follows that like last bear market, we just a lot more volatility still has to leave. We're just going to like find a bottom. Yeah. Look at this over here, right? Yeah. Chop back in 2018. But I mean, if you compare those two peaks, like you can kind of tell we're at the tail end of, uh, just like the, the depression of the, the peaks. Uh, we're here. There was this, maybe, like, there was that one moment, uh, back in, like, June, July of 2018, where, like, Ether and Bitcoin started to flatten out. Like, I think Bitcoin was flattening out at 6,000. Ether was flattening out at, like, 300. And they're like, okay, fine. We established a bottom. And then the bottom fell out and we went down, like, another 50%. Um, so if we are trying to say that this is the same as last cycle, then that would still be ahead of us. But I don't necessarily think that that's ahead of us. I do think that ETH is a different asset this cycle. And it might be more apt to compare ETH to Bitcoin of previous cycle than ETH to ETH of previous cycle. I I don't Mm -hmm. know if that uh, draws any insight, but like I was just looking earlier. So ETH is down 71% from all-time high. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin is down 73% more than ETH. That's certainly not the case last bear market where uh, Bitcoin was surviving and Mm -hmm. doing okay when bitcoin was or and eth was completely getting destroyed Mm -hmm. uh very interesting okay what about total crypto market cap uh we're gotta be below above above 900 billion so we were finally back above 900 billion we're at 919 billion dollars okay well well, we've seen a nine there it is. Uh, let's talk about the inflation numbers. They uh, came out earlier this week. They were good. December inflation report. The headline is consumer price gains continue to cool. Here's the chart for you. Um, David, you, you see this kind of spike for inflation. This mm-hmm. is a fully zoomed out chart all the way from 1965 all the way to 2023, where we are now. 
And uh, we're down to 6.5% inflation for December. And that, of low, course, is... Low, low number of 6.5%. Well, it, it peaked in June, 9.1%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, ever since we've been going down, 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 uh, last month that we saw a report, November was 7.1%, now it's 6.5%. The reason the market reacted favorably-ish to that mm-hmm. uh, was because it was just exactly at what was predicted by the market. The street was saying 6.5%. We came in at 6.5%. This, of course, is still well above the Fed's uh, mission, which is a 2% inflation rate. Maybe they'll increase that to 3%. That's what some are saying. Mm -hmm. Powell's holding firm that the target is 2%. Uh, And then of note, of course, before the pandemic, before all of this chaos that you see from 2020 onwards, inflation used to be 2.1% 2.1% used to be the most boring number in all of finance because for the last like decade or two, it's always been like 2%, never changed, uh, quite volatile these days. What do you think? Are we, are we done with inflation? So we just recorded our podcast with Tyler Cowen, which comes out on Monday, and he mentioned that uh, we really need to see three months in a row of decreasing inflation to really uh, feel okay-ish in confidence about the trend here. And he was, and we recorded with him a few days ago, and this was the print that we were looking for to see if it would continue to trend down for three months in a row, and it is. Uh, I think, and so he said, three months is what you need to start having some amount of confidence. So I think we are in the earliest stages of being able to have some amount of confidence about a downwards trend, and I think every single month after that, where we continue to print lower and we're just going to start stacking on the confidence and the confidence and the confidence. And that's really what it takes, uh, for risk appetite to come back. Uh, and so we are on to the first of many boxes that are checked, but it is the right step in the right direction. Well, let's switch back to the, uh, the crypto cycles again. So some people are saying there was a lot of leverage in the system, quite obvious built up in 2021 and 2022. Uh, and now that leverage is gone. It's been washed out. It's been flushed down the toilet. Bye-bye three hours capital and all of the margin traders that got Uh completely wrecked. This is a tweet from Jack. Do you want to tell us what he's saying? Yeah, Jack is saying, over-leveraged was the theme of the year. It was really the theme of the entire bull market being over-leveraged. But how much leverage remains in the system this year, he asks. Despite major blowups from incumbents like FTX, Bitcoin liquidations are down significant, significantly in the second half of 2022, suggesting that the more, majority of leverage has been washed out. And it's probably also why we're seeing a lot uh, less volatility in crypto asset prices is that leverage is volatile. Leverage adds vo- to volatility. And now that like things are uh, stable, there's less incentive to take leverage because you can't really trade as much in this market. Uh, but you're just seeing a lo- lower liquidations both on the long and short side, meaning that we are in a much more healthy, much more grounded phase in the market, which implies that we are closer to a bottom than we otherwise would be if we had a lot of leverage. Well, let's just flat out ask the question. Uh, I, I did on Twitter, has crypto bottomed? This was a results poll. 44% said yes, 55.3 said no. So kind of split. Pretty even. Pretty even. even. Yeah. I call that even. A little more saying no. What's your answer to that? Have we bottomed yet, David? Have we seen the all-time lows of this cycle? Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, I, when we hit below $800 Ether and like below $16,000 for Bitcoin, that I don't think we're going back there. Like Bitcoin got or Ether got down to eight hundred and seventy dollars or something. Like that, that is the low. question. Do so you think we bottomed? 
I, th- I don't think we're going below that. I think that was uh, in your predictions. I think uh, I think you're still like cautiously worried about a three digit ether, and I still don't think that's going to happen. I don't I don't necessarily think we'll go below the eight hundred. Was it like eight hundred something? I can't believe remember what the bottom tick was for ETH. But um, I mean, I I that that's something really bad would have to happen. Yeah, it would have to be to another be event. I mean, like go back and look how strong ETH is from a from a supply perspective, right? Um, it would have to be something that utterly shakes the confidence of existing holders, and I can't actually think about what that would be. Um, it would, it about, would ha- if like Coinbase would have to go insolvent, or Binance would have to go insolvent, or something like that. I mean, I really do feel like, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, that um, the digital currency group piece is the last bit of contagion. That's yeah. really where we ended the year, and and that still feels kind of uh, to be the case. But can you make? Um, you know, so ether, so ether I, bottomed at eight hundred and eighty dollars. By the way, I am also going to. I guess I'm making things less interesting by agreeing with you, but like I'm also going to say crypto bottomed. Now that doesn't mean we're not in for a lot of chop and a lot of stagnation and this whole apathy phase ahead. I still think that's in store. Um, but can you make the uh, the steel man the argument that um, crypto has not bottomed yet? What would somebody who's still bearish on crypto say? What do you think would be their their main um, arguments here? Uh, I'm not going to be very good at this. Uh, there's the <laughs> uh, the you you had the complacency bottom first. We had like the leverage and flush out bottom, which we think happened, and then you were talking about a complacency bottom, where like sweet now crypto is going to be boring for like two years in a row, and people are going to be frustrated that nothing exciting is happening in the crypto markets, and then like in two years down, people and- are just like this is boring. I'm out. Uh, years, there's an yeah. opportunity elsewhere. And so people sell for the complacency bottom that marks the, actually the beginning of the next bull market. I think there's that, but I don't, again, I don't give much credence to that. And then, and then there's like, there's actually more contagion that we really know about when DCG, it's totally going to go under, they're going to sell everything that they got. Uh, that's going to put a lot of sell pressure into the market and that can do another round of cascading liquidations for over leveraged players. That would be the other case. I don't think that's going to happen. I think either. that I, I, I think that would be the steel man argument is just that there's this um this apathy um mm-hmm. drop and it's gradual and it's over time and that's in the it's basically in crypto if there's nothing new in crypto that means down by default mm. if there's nothing new people lose interest it's down and so you kind of have to bet that nothing new is going to happen apathy will will creep in over the next uh, year or two david mm-hmm. i gotta say I can't get behind the case that nothing new is going to happen in crypto. And there's so much building going on. There's so much excitement. I mean, yeah, that's a big difference between the last bull market or last bear market and this bear market yeah. is like there's so much energy in pockets. There's, totally. there's pockets of very strong energy, like the Arbitrum ecosystem. I've been hanging out with the, uh, the, the treasure ecosystem, the small verse. They are, they're crazy, dude. They're nuts. <laughs> they have so much energy. And like they're, they're in during the 2018 to 2020 bear market. Like it was just like you and me and DC investor and Anthony Susano and Eric Connor and we were like and Moloch Dow was like the most interesting thing that we had. There was it was just like, hey guys, uh, how's your anyone how's your week going? (laughs) Anything new with you? Uh, Eat this money, right? (laughs) Eat this money, right, guys? (laughs) Um, This is a chart you put together, and this is kind of a commentary on. on the cycle and where the, the, the last cycle actually topped. Can you explain what you're showing here, David? Yeah. So this is a little bit of a messy chart, uh, but that's because I had to layer the same charts upon each other over and over and over again. Um, but so the only thing that is uniform about this is time. 
Uh, prices are not uniform, of course, but uh, all time lines up. And so we've got the Solana, the Luna, the Polygon, and the Ethereum charts. Solana is the main one that you see in purple. Uh, Luna is the gold one that's kind of invisible, but it's different colors, so you can kind of see it. And it's also the one that goes to zero in so May just of 2022. just look at the shape, guys. Yeah, look numbers. at the shape. Yeah. And then there's Polygon, which is like the cyan color. And then there's uh, Ethereum, which is the normal coin gecko blue color in the very background. And you, you can kind of just see the, the progress of the bull market uh go on uh if it was if we've said it before it was ethereum's show for the all of 2021 and then the first half of 2022 uh and that is where i am like hovering my cursor over it right now you can't right really here. see because my cursor is white yeah ryan's got it uh that 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 peak right there that was it it was ethereum's bull market uh and that's also when gas fees hit like 600 dollars, and people newcomers were like i'm so excited about crypto but i can't use ethereum what else can i do uh and that's when solana started its bull run it's also when polygon started its bull run uh and so then that's when solana hit all-time highs at around the same time ether hit all-time highs four thousand uh, like nine hundred dollars solana it hit its all-time highs of like something like 250 uh and then polygon not or excuse me um luna not too long after that a few months after that hit its all-time highs and then went to zero immediately after hitting all-time highs uh i just think it's a nice way to kind of do an audit as to how these markets progressed well this is what vance spencer spencer called everything after something like april or may of 2021 is was the low conviction rally yeah right so we had first we had the high conviction rally that you see kind mm-hmm. of up to here and i it fe- felt like that lasted through kind of like march of 2021 like and that was a lot of like bear market ogs like us saying yes. like everything that's happening right now makes sense oh dude i remember for for months before i would just tweet mm-hmm. out on the regular like ETH is stupidly ETH. underpriced, right? Right, and yeah. I just hit like it's still stupid. It's three hundred. Yeah. It's still stupid. Uh, like I would keep doing that, and I kept tweeting until about now that I recall until about like ETH was above a thousand until like March of mm-hmm. of twenty twenty one, and then I stopped tweeting that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like that felt real to me. Uh-huh. Everything after this was like narrative. Uh, clearly, a lot of margin. It was a lot yes. of like kind of greed. It was the market getting carried away. Wait, they call this the exuberance phase. This right. is not. This is not yeah. particular to crypto. This happens in every single market where human psychology is involved, which is all markets. Uh-huh. And so um, I don't think the market was very honest past right. April uh, of 2021. Past $2,000 Ether, which it hit in like April of 2021, I think is when uh, we got carried away with leverage as an industry. Yeah. And that's exemplified by the fact that Ether goes from $2,000 to $4,000 inside of like six weeks. And then it crashed from four thousand three hundred dollars down to like one thousand seven hundred dollars from in from may to june of 2021 yeah and that was that was the first indication that like hindsight 2020 that this market is now based on leverage everyone is taking leverage this is now a full-blown casino it's no coincidence that now if you want to buy eth you're paying like first quarter 2021 prices basically because that was back to the time when the the the, the market made more sense in the Mm pre-leverage time all right dave we've got a lot more to talk about other than markets of course what's coming up next 
Coming up next, the Winklevi escalate their fight against Barry Silbert and Digital Currency Group, causing Barry Silbert to have to release a letter to investors. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, our favorite three-letter acronym dude, is doing more Sam Bankman-Fried things, so get ready to facepalm. Coinbase (laughs) lays off 20% of its staff, while Binance is looking to increase its staff by 30%. So all of these conversations and more, but first a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors to help you go bankless. Here it is, Digital Currency Group versus Gemini, round two, round three, round four. I don't know what round we're in, David, I but I do two. know. Round two. Okay, Cameron Winklevoss tweeted another open letter out, this time to the board of Digital Currency Group, which, mm-hmm. of course, the board appoints the leader of Digital Currency Group, which is the CEO, uh, Barry Silbert. Seems like there is uh, definitely a feud going on. Um, I don't know, David, if if you want to pull out any colorful quotes from this uh, this open letter, I will say the TLDR is Cameron wants Barry fired. Mm-hmm. He says he's unfit for duty, basically, and that the board should, uh, he's proven himself, here's a quote, unfit to run DCG and unwilling and unable to find a resolution with creditors that is both fair and reasonable. As a result, Gemini acting beha- on behalf of its uh, 340,000 earned users. Wow, that's a lot. Request that the board remove Barry Silbert as CEO effective immediately. Mm-hmm. Wow, shot across the bow. Actually, that's more than a shot across the bow. Maybe that's a, it's a direct a, shot. That's a charge. That's a criminal charge from Cameron Winklevoss to Barry Silbert. And what, what, uh, the things that if you read this full thing, it's actually pretty, uh, interesting. Uh, he's basically saying that, uh, Genesis gave Gemini and Gemini Earn information that made them believe that Gemini was totally solvent. Yeah. And that was only true based off of misleading and fraudulent statements and cook accounting the fraud. Kind of cook, thing. cook the books, yes. And so whether or not this is true or not, we'll, we'll take an investigation into Grayscale and into Barry Silver. But that's kind of what Cameron is saying. This is what we need because uh, we, as operators of Gemini Earn, feel rugged because of misleading and fraudulent statements as a, as of Barry Silbert and Genesis and Grayscale. Uh, and so he's documenting all of these things that he is claiming is true about Genesis and Barry Silbert uh, and putting this into a letter which he then uh, uh, released on Twitter. There's also some righteous indignation here because it's not it's not just Cameron and Gemini, but he keeps talking about retail. Yeah. Um, you know, thirty three hundred and forty thousand Gemini earn users mm-hmm. who uh, effectively are out of money. Their their money is locked in digital currency group. Uh, so he's kind of shifting that onto DCG. Uh, not all is healthy in DCG world as well. So w- what is this headline? Yeah, so uh, there is a wealth management division out of DCG that is shutting down. And this actually isn't news. This was released uh, as intention from Barry Silbert um, not too long ago. But uh, parts of the digital currency group are winding down. Uh, Genesis uh, is actually laying off a bunch of staff. And so they're doing a bunch of cost cutting coming up for the, the cr- uh, crypto winter. And of course, they have that hole in their balance sheet that everyone knows about. Uh, so in the digital currency group side of things, they are just doing kind of the same thing that everyone else is doing which is trimming the fat, cutting costs, retracting for the winter. Um, and so that's kind of par for the course. Uh, Barry Silbert, however, did release a uh, in letter to investors, a letter to shareholders of Digital Currency Group. Uh, and this came, this was basically in response to Cameron Winklevoss, although not actually 
officially in response, but like, you know, you read between the lines. It's like this is being sent out. to his shareholders technically, but he's sort yes, of. Yes, but it's been definitely inspired and yes. motivated by being charged with fraud by the Cameron Winklevoss. So he starts off the letter saying, first, I'm incredibly proud of the role that DCG and I have played as pioneers and builders over the past 10 years. He then goes on to list a bunch of accomplishments from DCG. He says, I have fond memories of the early days of our industry, working hard to educate, fighting in the trenches with fellow entrepreneurs and investors looking to gain legitimacy for crypto. And it's funny because he's been here for a while. I yeah, mean, so have the Winkle yeah. Voss twins, but so has he. Yeah. Uh, he, he continued and he's kind of like kind of trying to prop himself up. It's like, Hey, I believe in everything that I've done. I'm an OG. Yeah. I've, I've been here working in the trenches. Look, look at this line, speaking at conferences to rooms with three people getting <laughs> snickered at on CNBC, right? He's like, I am deep crypto. He then continues, in contrast, the past year has been the most difficult of my life, both personally and professionally. Bad actors, repeated blowups wreaked havoc on our in- industry with ripple effects extending far and wide. Although DCG, our sub- subsidiaries, and many of our portfolio companies are not immune to the effects of the present turmoil, it has been challenging to have my integrity and good intentions questioned after spending a decade pouring everything into this company and the space with an unrelenting focus on doing things the right way. So this is this is the part that's like basically the response to Cameron Winklevoss saying, "I am offended that I'm being charged of these things." Um, <laughs> and uh, there's a he then finishes this letter saying, "I hope this letter and the accompanying Q and A." There's a Q and A in this in this letter which we don't have time to go into, but it's linked in the show notes that explains other developments and addresses some of the speculation about DCG, some of which is reasonable and some of that is completely baseless and false. Hopefully, this helps clarify our position. So that was Barry Silver's response. We don't know the full truth yet, right? Um, the easy answer, it would seem, is if everything's going okay, can't you just give the $900 million back to Gemini Earn customers? Uh, it's, I'm sure it, it's definitely not that simple, of course. Um, but we do know authorities are definitely involved. So DCG is being investigated right now by the DOGA and by the SEC as well. So I'm sure the truth will emerge um, yeah, but specifically, the report says that neither Genesis nor DCG has been accused of any wrongdoing. So they are investigating, huh. and they have all the, the the Department of Justice is investigating along with the SEC, DCG, and they have said that DC they are not charging Genesis or DCG uh, with anything of wrongdoing. It just feels just like taking a peek. We're kind of in the he said, she said moment of things yeah. where like one of them's probably right or there's some truth in the middle, but we just mm-hmm. don't know yet. Yep. We don't have all, kind of all of the facts in this case. So yep. uh, I don't think this will be the last time we talk about DCG, but the the last domino has not fully fallen yet. Um, David, what else we got to talk about? Oh, you know, our good friend SBF. Uh, so there's no real rhyme or reason to these flow of stories, so we're just going to go through them one by one. Uh, first up, the most comical one, uh, SBF uh, seeks access to his Robinhood shares worth about half a billion dollars, $450 million, because he needs to pay for legal fees. Uh, so SBF is like, hey, can I have some of my money so I can pay for legal fees? Um, <laughs> guess what happened, Ryan, uh, just a few days later? What? The United States government seized the Robinhood shares. <laughs> wow. So the answer to that question was no. No, you cannot have <laughs> They're access. ours now. Yeah, they're ours now. Thank you for that half a billion dollars. In other parts of the Sam Bankman Freed, I don't know, debacle, I guess is when you, uh, Titanic. When, can, yeah, Titan. <laughs> Shit. Uh, they found, uh, FTX has found over $5 billion of what they call cash 
liquid cryptocurrency, liquid investment securities, and measured at the date in question, so the recent times. They uh, found money. They found $5 billion, they say. Um, that's that's the change in the couch you were talking about. Yeah, exactly. The $5 billion have changed. Uh, have you looked in your couch cushions lately, Ryan? You might find $5 billion. <laughs> uh, importantly, so. in this uh, memo that they've released, it doesn't. they do not ascribe any value to the holdings of dozens of illiquid crypto assets, which okay. are holdings that are so large relative to the total supply that our positions cannot be sold without substantially affecting the market for the token. Sure. So they're, they're, they're saying that like they're not tokens. they're not counting the illiquid tokens that they can't sell. And it's still which 5 billion. Im- which implies that wow, that's that's 5 billion real dollars. We're talking uh, people, 40%, 50%. People are, are not buying this. People are not okay. buying this. And so this is a tweet from uh, uh, Connor, who I'm not familiar with, but he just says, $5 billion? Question mark. I went through every wallet I could find that FTX owns. The biggest positions are 700 millions of Sol, mostly locked. 575 million of FTT, 371 million of FTT maps. does yeah. not count. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, a bunch of millions of dollars of other tokens that I'm not familiar with. 90 million dollars of, uh, WBTC. Maps. May- maybe Oxy. they know something about that, that we don't. And maybe they know Ethereum addresses and other addresses that we don't. But if these are the addresses, then that five billion dollars is questionable. So we are unsure. I think the jury is still out as to how much money was actually found. All right. Well, in, gr- in fantastic FTX fashion. So the same same Connor Twitter account says, my simple model is that the estate, the FTX estate, wants a win and good publicity to talk about all the progress they've made. In my opinion, this $5 billion number vastly overstates what they could sell in an open market and improper, improperly sets creditor expectations of a high percentage of asset recovery. Yeah, don't give us hope yet. Don't give yeah. any of the creditors hope. It's yeah. probably a lot worse than that. Um, but they were very clear. We have located $5 billion of cash, liquid cryptocurrency, and liquid investment securities. That's this a very was, clear statement. That was very clear. Yeah, I'd, mm-hmm. I hope that would be backed by something more than we saw in those tweets. Yeah. Um, this is a tweet as well uh, coming out. This is breaking as of earlier this week. Prosecutors are telling lawyers connected to SBF, fra- the fraud investigation case, that the case is so sprawling that it could exhaust resources <laughs> of the Southern <laughs> District since it includes potential bribery, count them, that's one, campaign contribution violations, two, market manipulation, three, on top of theft, four, and fraud. That's a lot of things. That's such a lot of things. <laughs> that it could exhaust the entire Southern District's ability to actually prosecute these things. Uh, someone I is think that, uh, called this a DDoS attack. Yeah, I bet you if you scroll down, you'll see Nick Carter. He's like, oh, oh the, the old legal system DOS attack, denial of service attack. It's like, <laughs> that's like a, a loophole inside of the universe. Is like if you can do so many illegal things that the court system can't fund finance itself to sue you, you can get away with a portion of them. I mean, you're still going to jail for life, but you'll get away with some stuff. <laughs> okay. Well, um, yeah, exhausting an entire uh, district's capability to prosecute you. It's crazy. <laughs> You are so incredibly illegal that an entire district doesn't have the money to sue you. So this happened too. SBF uh, just tweeted this out. It's a link to his Substack. SBF has a Substack apparently now. Brand new. Um, And the title of this article is FTX pre-mortem overview. And Sam just gives a a complete overview of what happened. An audit from his perspective. I was skimming through it to see if there was anything new. But I think it was just like a documentation of all of the stuff that he's been saying on Twitter spaces. and all. Do you know what it was to me? Because I haven't watched all the Twitter spaces. It's just like shifting blame, right? Like so – uh, basically the first, the first, the second sentence here. At the end of the day, FTX is just somewhere between that of Voyager and Celsius. 
we're not that bad in between Voyager and Celsius. Okay, look at all these. Uh, there's a lot of that conversation about being not as bad as Voyager, Genesis, Celsius, BlockFi, Gemini. It happened to all of us, all as a group. There were comments about um, down here, David, uh, you know, about how crazy the market actually was, the mm-hmm. 2022 market crashes. Um, he goes in this narrative and he says, then over the course of uh, the year, markets crashed again and again and again. And Alameda reportedly fails uh, to sufficiently hedge his position until summer. Bitcoin crashed 30%. Bitcoin crashed another 30%. Bitcoin crashed another 30%. And then he lists all of the things that happened in 2020. I'm like, yeah, it's freaking crypto. What the hell? You know, like he, he doesn't know that, dude. This are you was, new? Sam Bakeman Fried was yes. He was a first cycler. Trader dude. Is new. He's he a first cycler. That, and he, like, he was born in an up only paradigm. David, earlier in this, in this, he he was uh, bragging about, and I don't know if any of this is justified, but um, something about that that like Alameda on the book should have had um, enough reserves to sustain a ninety four percent market crash. I'm like ninety four percent. I mean, we've had those before, you know, right? right like, no. you, like if that, you, <laughs> that's what you should expect. <laughs> that's the base case. <laughs> that's not the worst case. That's exactly what you should As, expect. Especially when you printed a bunch of funny money, bro. This was perhaps the most detached statement in the, the whole note that I read. Um, he said this, I believe that had FTX international been given a few weeks, it could have likely, it could, uh, likely have utilized its illiquid assets and equity to raise enough financing to make customers substantially whole. He Even now, he says, I believe that if FTX International were to reboot, there would be a real possibility of customers being made substantially whole. He still thinks... He well, still this says goes he back to our that. conversation uh, last week where uh, like one take is that SBF actually thinks he's innocent and a good guy trying to do the right thing then i think he actually does think that we've just given an incredibly deluded person like billions and billions of dollars and he continues to be uh deluded deluded yeah um Uh wow what what a lesson for crypto i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry all right what else we got david our third news item this week yeah uh sad news out of coinbase they uh, are cutting a a fifth of its workforce they also cut 18 percent of their staff last june so um, just overall big contractions in Coinbase employees. But I think this is, this is par for the course that, course this happened last bull, uh, bear market. This is just what it takes to, uh, be on the frontier of growth. That means that when the bull market comes, you lay people off. It's not like a mistake. Uh, it's not like a misjudgment as to crypto. It's just like, oh, the bear market's here. We have to cut, we have to cut costs. As a result of all of these layoffs, uh, Coinbase says that this is bringing down their operating expenses down by 25% for the quarter ending in March. The company will also be shutting down several other projects with, quote, a lower probability of success. Um, this article continues with like general commentary about the tech sector and it says Coinbase joins a chorus of other tech companies cutting jobs after going on a hiring binge during the COVID pandemic. Last week, Amazon said it would cut 18,000 jobs. Salesforce reduced its headcount by more than 7,000 jobs, which is 10%. Elon Musk uh, slashed half of Twitter's workforce after taking the helm of CEO. Uh, Meta, Facebook, cut 11,000 jobs, about 13%. And also crypto companies Genesis, Gemini, and Kraken also reduced their workforces. Uh, and I, the, the last line I'll read here is, every company in Silicon Valley felt like we were just focused on growth, 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 and people were almost using their headcount number as a symbol of how much progress they were making, Armstrong, Brian Armstrong said, uh, the focus is now on operational efficiency. 
It's healthy for the ecosystem and for the industry to focus on more on those things. This to me is just what a bear market is. Uh, yeah. As prices go down, as things contract, you operate on efficiency rather than growth. As, These are cycles. Things grew yep. too fast and now they came down fast and yep. uh, that's what's happening. Although, although David, although, Binance is bucking that trend. Yeah. All right? Here's or, a or, headline. Or, or posturing at least, at the very least, <laughs> yeah, to say true, so. True. Crypto so, exchange Binance plans mm-hmm. a 15 to 30% not cut hiring spree. This year in 2023, even as rivals slash jobs, uh, that's what CZ is saying that they're focused on hiring and they're going to hire another 15 to 30 percent. Uh, what do you think about this? Yeah, uh, CZ says that Binance needs to get the company well organized ahead of the next crypto bull run and admitted that the exchange is not super efficient. Um, yet who wants to hire more? Might be some posturing. I don't know. Show strength. There's, there's. We've, we've definitely seen CZ posture before. Remember when we had him on, on Bankless and, yes. and, uh, it was, we were like, oh, it's, this, the question we had was like, CZ, SBF and FTX are buying everything under the sun. Like, what are you doing? And CZ was like, uh, Binance has first, first we're buying dibs. More. On everything, <laughs> yeah. on everything. We, he's buying has cr- first dibs. He's buying our leftovers. Yeah, he's buying our he sloppy said. seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's definitely some posturing out of CZ. That we've definitely seen this behavior before. So far, it has not been inaccurate. And yet we don't know. We and don't know we don't one know. way or we another, do we? But yeah. uh, but uh, CZ has definitely been been kind of hard to unsee as yeah. the number one exchange. Yes, uh, so very much so. Praying for Binance's solvency. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. What do we got coming up next? Coming up next, Optimism takes the number one spot of transaction volumes across Layer 2s. And OpenSea integrates Arbitrum Nova, which is Arbitrum's gaming chain, into the OpenSea marketplace. So the L2 wars are hot and everything is good for Ethereum, of course. NFTs had a crazy week. Pleaser Dow is working with Edward Snowden. Rolling Stone magazine is working with Pussy Riot. And Game of Thrones launches an NFT it's not great. Get your face palms ready because it's going to be funny. So all of that and more as soon as we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. All right, guys, we're back. Uh, the flipping no one was talking about. Optimism overtakes Arbitrum for daily active addresses and transactions per day. So this is Arbitrum still leading on uh, total locked value. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like an assets on the chain sort of measure. But Optimism leading on transactions. What do you what do you make of this, David? Yeah, I mean, this is just momentary to optimism taking the lead. We'll see if they can sustain it. I, I think, I don't know how to read into this too much. There's a, a lot of more like analysis that really needs to go into why optimism is getting more transaction volume, but I think it does lend itself a little bit to the philosophical differences between these chains. Arbitrum is very, very DeFi heavy. Optimism and the optimism team are always really focused on like literally how do we build a new world, like a new governance structure, new organizational systems, new economies. And so the fact that the economy of optimism as a governance system, a two house model and all of the, and all the real DeFi and NFT stuff's going on, that kind of tracks, uh, versus, uh, Arbitrum, which is more like DeFi and, uh, NFT and kind of, uh, I guess Arbitrum's just getting more finance use cases at, maybe, at this point. Maybe, yeah. Uh, we'll have to get Ben on it. I, I think we should get Ben on why on on this. Like, what what about uh, what's new in the Optimism ecosystem? But those charts, the trend here, if you're looking at the screen, the Optimism transaction volume chart is just like solid, rock solid up and to the right. Arbitrum had a big wave and it's slowly come down since a peak. Um, I bet you these things just leapfrog over and over and over again. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting to see these economies emerge. Um, mm-hmm. OpenSea 
is now supporting Arbitrum Nova. What does that mean, David? Arbitrum Nova is Arbitrum's second chain. So the first Arbitrum chain is called Arbitrum 1 because it's the first chain. Uh, Arbitrum Nova is the second chain. It's a chain dedicated to social and gaming. Uh, and so it's like a roll-up, but with off-chain data. So there's other data dependencies. Uh, your data is not stored on Ethereum. It's stored with what's called a data availability committee, which is a committee of data providers that are not Ethereum. So there's different dependencies there. But what do you get from that? Uh, super fast and super cheap. Uh, and so this is Arbitrum's gaming chain. And now Ar- Arbitrum has two chains that are integrated inside of OpenSea. Uh, so hmm. just big progress, big progress. Yeah, uh, that is big. Um, what do we got here, David? You're, you're calling this the L2 bull market. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Uh, this is just a list of very green numbers of transaction volume across Ethereum and all the layer two chains. Uh, so in the last seven days, uh, 58% increase in transactions on Optimism, 42% increase transactions on Arbitrum 1, Immutable, 47% increase, DYDX, 113% increase in transactional volume. Now, if you look at the numbers, the actual numbers are eth- Ethereum, 13.7 uh, transactions per second, Optimism, 7 transactions per second, Arbitrum, 2.5, Immutable, 2.5, DYDX, 2.5. So like still actually low numbers. But these are just actual, these aren't capacities. These are what is actually being used. And so the volumes are up, uh, but still have a lot more to go. I expect things like Optimism, Arbitrum, Immutable to definitely pass because they have the capacity to definitely pass Ethereum in, in transaction um, volumes. I expect that to happen this this bear market. This was interesting too. Uh, it looks like Coinbase is maybe becoming a Rocket Pool ODAO member. Mm-hmm. Uh, why would they do that? So Coinbase has its own Ethereum staking service, mm-hmm. of course, uh, internal, but they are also going to be working with Rocket Pool. Yeah. So we, uh, Bankless is an ODAO member for Rocket Pool. Sazzle, Anthony Sazano is also a new ODAO member to Rocket Pool. What is the ODAO? It's called the Oracle DAO. Rocket Pool just needs, uh, the Oracle price for Ether. They just need to, as a part of the system, they need to understand what the price is for Ether. And so they get that through the ODAO. Uh, so, uh, people that are trusted and also put up a bond to, um, to report the Oracle price of uh, Ether to Rocket Pool. Uh, Coinbase is now being proposed as an ODAO member. And so uh, this is That perhaps... doesn't mean they're going to stake any of their, any customer funds no, it does not. on Rocket Pool. That is not what that means. But it does mean they're getting involved in the project. Exactly. Then, is, and I think that's okay. really the important point to take home. It's like the ODAO membership for Coinbase is them getting their foot in the door because now Coinbase has... ODAO like governance if you will as in like they are part of the system I think it's the first way that Coinbase becomes comfortable with staking through Rocket Pool and if you've been in the Rocket Pool trading uh, channel and inside of their discord it's like one of the most high energy channels that exists yeah they probably think this is incredibly bullish and that well this has always been staking is imminent this has always been one of the theses of uh, the bull case for Rocket Pool. Uh, it's, sure. it's part of the, um, DeFi mullet thesis or the protocol sync thesis, uh, which is something that we've been hammering into people's heads for as long as we can. Uh, centralized companies can use decentralized protocols for their services. And yeah. if Coinbase just stakes through Rocket Pool, they actually can make more money than if they just run their own nodes themselves. It's profitable for them to stake through Rocket Pool. And so I think this might be an early indication of that thesis playing out. That could be cool. I mean, that would be amazing. We we also see like um, how much better would it have been if BlockFi, uh, for example, and Celsius mm-hmm. and all of the other centralized lending companies 
used uh, something like um, Aave or Compound. Sure. Exactly. Rather, rather than kind of these centralized providers for it. Mm-hmm. That is DeFi Mullet as well. All right, let's talk NFT stuff, David. So the NFT community seems uh, full of life. This is um, a new announcement by PleaserDAO. Can you explain what this is? Yeah, and also disclaimer, I'm a part of PleaserDAO. Uh, PleaserDAO is working on a Web3 auction house. Uh, and so an auction house for the metaverse is at pleaser.house. That's pleaser without an E. In collaboration with uh, Edward Snowden and Daniel Ellsberg. Uh, do you know who Daniel Ellsberg is, Ryan? I don't. Who's Daniel? He is the whistleblower that released the Pentagon Papers that started to actually turn the tide of the Vietnam War for releasing a lot of the back channel comms in the in the Pentagon that was like, hey, the Vietnam War is like totally illegitimate. That's Daniel Ellsberg right there. Uh, and so um, Pleaser Dow bought the Edward Snowden piece, the the uh, NFT that Edward Snowden made that was an, um, about his whistleblower for the uh, the NSA. Uh, they bought that for four point something million dollars. Uh, we bought it. Uh, and that's an NFT that is inside of the Pleaser vaults. Um, and now that the Pleaser Dow has created this auction house, uh, uh, Daniel Ellsberg is making an NFT, kind of how Edward Snowden did, and is going to be auctioned out off today in a few hours. So yesterday for, for listeners. Uh, hopefully it goes for a lot of money because all of the money is being donated. 50% is being donated to the Freedom of the Press Foundation, uh, which is also where all of the money for the purchase of the Edward Snowden NFT also went, the four plus million dollars. Uh, and then the other 50% of this Daniel Ellsberg auction is going to the Daniel, Daniel Ellsberg's like personal foundation for also donations. So I think that's really cool. Very cool. Yeah. And I think you did a show mm-hmm. about, I haven't caught up with that show, but it's on Bankless with, um, Jameis, Jameis from yeah. Dow, mm-hmm. talking about that. Um, NFT artists, did you know they are launching on Instagram these days? Yeah. Uh, yeah. this is a headline from Coindesk. So top NFT artists are launching projects on Instagram and they're selling out in seconds. This to me, David is uh, somewhat detached from uh crypto native world. So mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily see what's going on in these communities, right. but, uh, if you'll recall, Meta and Instagram added NFT functionality. I first the ability to kind of view NFTs. Now apparently the ability to mint and sell NFTs. Uh, and they're, they're selling like crazy. Um, I don't know what we're looking at this specific one. Yeah, that, here. that looks like a weird NFT to showcase, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, here's another one from Sandeep. So a lot of these are, are based on, on Polygon, of course. Mm-hmm. This is one called, uh, uh, Acutars, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, what's interesting about this is there seems to be still appetite for NFTs. It's in a new platform on uh, Instagram. Excuse me, also- Ryan. Uh, they're digital collectibles. Yes. Sir. Sorry. 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 Sir. Sorry. Digital collectibles. <laughs> and what's interesting to me too is uh, Meta is taking like fifteen to thirty percent of the proceeds Whoa, from these sales. All right. And creators are still doing it. Uh, so. Guy bullish question mark yeah. bullish digital collectibles at least not nfts of course those are bad um i i think it's going to be stuff like this and the combination of uh instagram and the branding digital collectibles people are just going to get it like oh this is a digital collectible on the internet that's a cool technology when my I, tribe does it it's cool exactly. when your tribe does it i hate it <laughs> well sure yeah your <laughs> nfts are dumb uh, your nfts on OpenSea are dumb my digital collectibles on instagram are great amazing why because it's from my favorite creator in this yeah. amazing fan community uh-huh. and like yeah it's totally tribal isn't it i think this is just like the technology of ethereum 
slowly working its way into corners of the internet that already exist. This is, again, the protocol sync thesis playing out. And uh, this is also going to unlock new creators and new communities to have digital collectible powers. And we're not going to hear about it on crypto Reddit or crypto Twitter. Like it's going to be new communities nope. and that's going to be part of the vision of how this whole th- revolution happens. Yep. They don't even know they're using crypto has uh, always been the, mm-hmm. always been the vision. Um, Lens protocol is letting creators issue token gated content. So uh, what do you make of this, David? Uh, yeah, this is just following into the footsteps of other platforms that we see in the space, like uh, Mirror. Uh, any sort of content can be turned into a token and be created. Uh, but also, there are creating uh, tools for token gating. So uh, posting inside of Lens's token gating application, all that content becomes encrypted and only made accessible to users who meet certain conditions, uh, having a certain amount of reputation, holding a certain token, being a certain, I don't know, thing this or is, person. It's really smart, right? It's so it's simple. Like, it, it's like the idea, you know, Twitter rolled this thing out. Um, I don't know if I've even seen it in use, but the, the idea that you can subscribe to different Twitter accounts, basically, uh, as a, kind of a premium service and just receive their their premium-only tweets. Oh, Maybe this yeah, is right, thing. right, right, right. Substack has a similar model in that, you know, they'll send a free post and then premium post. Well, Lens is just doing, like, um, uh, token-gated mm-hmm. posts, right? Mm-hmm. Because none of these previous web two platforms are doing token gating yet they're just doing simple subscription payments and i i think that creates a whole new incentive model is really smart of of lens to uh to do it's like a, a web three native feature that only they can do i really wish i could tweet out and have a tweet only be read by people with a certain like nft for example so if i wanted to like, tweet out to all my mfers to be like no don't show this tweet to anyone who doesn't own an mfer right yeah that'd be Wouldn't really that be cool. cool that'd be really or cool. like just the bankless community yeah imagine there was a bankless nft oh my god Ima- could you Ima- imagine there, there are uh bankless badge badge tokens of course which mm-hmm. are like our poet badges yeah, we did we, we did nfts before people. it was cool yeah uh digital collectibles the, actually well no so ours are nfts ours are nfts okay <laughs> ours could be nfts uh what's going on with uh rolling stone pussy riot what's happening yeah so rolling stone magazine is in working in collaboration with uh nadia aka pussy riot aka the dissenter who made a bunch of fun of putin and then got kicked out of the country uh and so just in the same vein as edward snowden and daniel ellis uh pussy riot is selling nfts on the Coinbase NFT platform uh, in collaboration with Rolling Stone. So we got some two ETH bids for a collection of, I think, 11 or 12 of uh, Pussy Riot's pictures. Uh, if you don't know who Pussy Riot is and you're looking at these pictures for the first time and you're like, what the fuck? Uh, that's, that's a normal reaction. That's kind of the point. That's kind of her brand. I've hung out with Nadia a few times. She's she's deep in the crypto world. She's also a member of Pleaser DAO, actually. Um, she's, uh, she's a hoot to hang out with, let me tell you. <laughs> She, I, 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 she's DM me before. I've, I've never connected with her, but she listens to some bankless, doesn't she? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. We got uh, she has Moonbirds. A, she has a necklace that she wears all the time, and it's just a dude, big penis. <laughs> it's a penis necklace. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't, if you didn't know that. <laughs> um, blue chip NFT project Moonbird signs with Hollywood talent agencies. Uh, what is this about? Yeah, I don't know much of this world. Uh, you, uh, what is it? United Talent Agencies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, United Talent Agency is, I think, like a massive deal in Hollywood. It's kind of like the guild of actors. Maybe it's like a little bit of a monopoly. I don't know. Uh, but Kevin Rose and the Moonbirds have signed a deal with uh, United Talent Agency to just promote the Moonbirds brand. 
Uh, and so uh, what does UTA bring to the table? This is from the article. They are 1,400 people with divisions in film, television, music, video games, sports, books, branding, licensing, speaking, marketing, Just, fine arts, broadcast. It's like broadcast. a network of influencers. Like old, really? tr- isn't, is that what it is? I'm asking a question, actually. I don't know. Um, uh, they said their job is to vet, broker, and execute partnerships and expansion opportunities across a variety of fields. Yeah. Is to help promote the Moonbirds brand on a global scale and just and uh, trying to get out of just being recognized as a big brand inside of Web three. Uh, this has I, I learned also already been done by both Larva Labs and Yuga Labs. So this is not a first in the NFT industry. Hmm. Got to do it ethically with full disclosures, though, as uh, Yuga Labs learned, I think, recently. Um, this is Vance Spencer's take on it. What does he say? This is a Vance Spencer take from back in the day when Larva Labs did this deal in the first place. This was August of, of 2021, so over a year ago. This was raised by uh, Luke on, on the bankless side of things, who used to work in Hollywood before we totally poached the hell out of him. Uh, and so Vance Spencer uh, says, uh, the Larva Labs UTA deal is great, but the bigger vision is to create IP with open licensing APIs where anyone can use the IP for anything. Example, UTA goes out of business and Larva Lab stops calling the shots. But then Vance finishes and says the blockchain unlock will be moving IP licensing from scarcity to abundance mindset. And so I think this is really the early conversations of the decentralized bottom-up brands. And these are kind of the NFTs that, that I really like, like MFers, for example, is a decentralized headless movement of branding. Whereas uh, Moonbirds and Yuga Labs and Larva Labs, anyone who's signed a deal with UTA is like, hey, UTA, make our brand better. Like ascribing mm-hmm. agency to an, to an agency to make the brand better versus MFers just go wild, make infinity derivatives, just BMFers. Like there's two just different styles anarchy there. anarchy versus like top, de- like centralization, yes. right? And like, I don't even know what's more effective. I, I think that case by case, facts and circumstances. Yeah, each one's probably got its own facts and circumstances. Um, I know that this, <laughs> I guess this is not an effective NFT. Well, I mean, at least for me, uh, Game of Thrones NFT, the Build Your Realm Experience brought to you by Warner Brothers. Uh, so we now have Game of Thrones NFTs, as if the show didn't already jump the shark. Now they're getting on the <laughs> NFT bandwagon. Wow, a Ryan bit does late. not have good things to say about Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, I mean, what do you think of these NFTs, David? Do you have good things to say about them? Uh, any takes here? Yeah, so I think what we're looking at here, if you go back to the marketplace, these are like yeah. packs, like card packs. Like if you open them up, there's like five of them. <laughs> okay. If you hit filter in the top left, yes. uh, yeah, so yeah, so here are the animations of the people of Game of Thrones. <laughs> and man, does it look like a cheap mobile game. Oh, uh, wow. Did yeah. you see did you see this tweet here, David? Yeah. So this is Funky Donk saying, I bought this for point zero seven ETH. Why, might you ask? Do you hate yourself, Funky? No, it's because I know art when I see it and these fingers that's art. And so <laughs> we are looking at an animation on? of this guy who's like it's definitely some junior animator who's got some crazy spindly like two feet long fingers that's <laughs> attempting to grab this spear and it's just like missing and the animation's all bad. Uh, and this, it's, it kind of feels like a Kevin moment. You, you remember Kevin? Yeah, of course. I remember Kevin. Yeah. Uh, but but so how are they selling, David? The mo- that's they the most they sold thing. out, dude. Of, of course, course, of they course did. they did. <laughs> How do they still sell out? They're I even calling know. them NFTs. I don't know. People, don't who's know. buying these things? I don't know. 
Uh, but apparently, so there's a game that goes with these things. Apparently, so there's like utility. Maybe yeah, they okay. can maybe they can fix the animations. All right. Well, maybe David and I are missing out on these fantastic <laughs> NFTs. Um, it's, you know, art is uh, completely subjective. Um, <laughs> all right. What is backing a USDC? This is a tweet from John Paul Koning, who really follows stablecoins uh, quite well. It turns out that thirty percent of USDC is actually BlackRock government money. Uh, so BlackRock bonds, I believe. And this is up from 0% in October. So it happened really quick from 0% to 30%. That's about $13 billion of USDC reserves. Those are, that's the, the funds, the collateral that backs the coin USDC when you use it on Ethereum or any network. Uh, is actually managed by BlackRock. Mm-hmm. What do you think, David? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? BlackRock bad? BlackRock is a bank, and so we shouldn't want them in crypto? What's happening here? Yeah, so John continued this thread and, and gave a take that I, I think I agree with. He goes, uh, since the proportion of USDC reserves invested in the Circle Reserve Fund has risen to about $28 billion, he says that this is likely a win for USDC users because Circle is yielding some control over USDC's reserves to an external manager subject to SEC regulation, which ultimately uh. makes USDC safer. Transparency improves since users can now get regular updates from BlackRock, and BlackRock is like a, you know, like a TradFi approved uh, institution, regulate, regulatory mega approved institution, in, mega Trillions. institution, right? And so it's basically an extension of the state. And so using a, a BlackRock as like a vehicle to put USCC inside of is what he's saying is like, this is just a good use of transparency tools and protections for users. And ultimately USDC is already an extension of the state anyways. It's dollars in a bank. So it doesn't make it any more centralized. So I think this is just layers of protection around companies that are very much the opposite of ftx if you will well i think it's definitely regulatory protection too because now that the someone like the sec looks at tether Mm -hmm. and they're like no uh uh uh-uh and then they look at usdc and they're like ah okay blackrock our friends yeah the incumbents we Mm -hmm. know these guys and they're okay with usdc i think that's what's probably going on yeah um this was kind of disturbing and disappointing to me david uh this is uh ben hunt um, talking about uh, BlockFi and mm-hmm. specifically some of the leadership of BlockFi having cashed out during uh, the last year or so. Do you want to read this out? Uh, yeah. So this is after we got a report, a transparency report uh, uh, from BlockFi and equity holders in the cap table. So apparently Ben did, went down this rabbit hole to just look at the data and he goes, uh, tweets out on Twitter, CEO Zach Prince cashed out 9.3 million from his BlockFi account, about 70% of his account in early April 2022. This was right before the uh, Luna three hours capital contagion. Mm-hmm. And then he cashed out another $850,000 in mid August 2022 after, uh, BlockFi got bailed out by FTX. I think it was actually Alameda. Um, and he says he follows, yes, I'm accounting for market declines in the assets. And so cashing out seven, $9.3 million before every, all the contagion happened, you know, you, I think you can kind of give him the pass on that. Um, cashing out almost another million dollars after getting bailed out by FTX, mm. uh, is a little, not, feel great, not so great, not so great. Um, yeah, it's like, <sighs> the, it's like the cost between like that is his money. Um, he's totally, that's his money. He's able to withdraw. He's able to press a withdraw it's button. Withdrawing from his own product though, his own. It's withdrawing, yeah. It's like lack of confidence. It's a vote of your no own confidence, company. right? Yeah, and that, right. in the second piece, especially in mid-August, right? And even yeah. the first piece in April, I mean, BlockFi, 
I guess it was I, prior I, I think to that contagion. was yeah. I mean, an informed person might be able to understand the writing on the walls. It's like is like he would be able to see like how solvent BlockFi was or not. Um, I I think it's hard to not give him a pass on that one, Yikes. but it's still it's still you know doesn't that, feel great. It doesn't feel great when a whole bunch of people lost money in BlockFi specifically. Yeah, and, um, the, and the leader didn't. Okay, well, speaking of CFI, Nexo office was raided by Bulgarian police in a wide investigation. Uh, what is going on with Nexo, David? This was breaking uh, as of, I think, this morning. So, yeah, this was uh, kind of crazy. This is out of Bloomberg. Crypto lender's office in Sofia was raided by Bulgarian police on Thursday as a result of an investigation into suspected money laundering and tax crimes. Mm. More than 300 police officers prosecutors what? and national security agents are taking a part in this operation uh which was uh stated from the a bulgarian chief prosecutor uh who told reporters in sofia nexo used to operate inside of the united states but like a few months ago they m- closed down their operations because probably I'm, I'm guessing what happened was the sec was like hey that's a security and they just didn't want to fight it so they just went offshore started to be like some smoke out of nexo uh the article continues saying authorities are investigating london-based nexo on suspicion of money laundering tax crimes and offenses involving unlicensed banking activities uh kind of all the same thing that i think the sec would was worried about uh nexo put together a tweet thread which was kind of mm-hmm. like a defense of themselves um you know, I, I skimmed through this and, um, the, the trouble with this, David, is you just really don't know who to believe. looks like this tweet thread was centered on, uh, AML, uh, KYC mm-hmm. and maybe they're kind of implying that's the reason that, um, they're under investigation, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose you'd call this. Um, but they said that they've always been abiding by the laws. Now, David, at this point in time, I don't, I, you know, we're hearing things whenever something like this breaks, you're hearing kind of a bank run types of, of murmurs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't actually seen anything to indicate that, that people are unable right. to withdraw their funds. Right. Now that the, could change The, the knee jerk reaction is Nexo's insolvent. They don't have any money, but that's not what's being reported. What's being reported is tax fraud and banking it, violations. Right. I mean, where there's smoke, there's might be fire. And I know, and I would suggest if you have money in Nexo to probably withdraw it, but I haven't seen anyone say, Hey, I have money in Nexo and I can't get it out. I haven't seen any report like that yet. I have some seen th- some things on Twitter of uh, critics saying, "Hey, Bankless, why did you ever do anything with Nexo in the past right. before?" Um, mm-hmm. I think it would, we should probably talk about that yeah. and address yeah. that. And Bankless listeners, longtime Bankless listeners, might remember a stint that we did with Nexo as a, a sponsor of Bankless. They actually booked a podcast um, sponsorship slot for the entirety of, of last quarter of Q4. Um, we cut them short. Mm-hmm. After about six weeks of this, when there started to be some fishy stuff going on in the general CFI um, space, nothing did, by Nexo, nothing no, no by, fishy Nexo. By, ne- by Nexo. Uh, we met with them. We told them, "Hey, we don't feel comfortable given everything that's going on with uh, FTX uh, in continuing this partnership," and we sort of we we cut them off there and then. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say retrospectively, and we've we've kind of talked about this uh, in general. Um, Partnering with Nexo at that time in Q4 was definitely a mistake, right? Yeah. Um, I think that uh, our feeling going into it was not all centralized lending companies are bad. There mm-hmm. are some good ones, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Um, there have to be. Uh, Nexo had just come through 
the gauntlet of Thero's capital getting destroyed right. and BlockFi getting destroyed and Celsius getting destroyed. Uh, and they were actually like talking about acquiring other companies. Right. Um, it felt like a reasonably safe, like if you go in with eyes wide open and you understand that giving up your private keys means giving up your coins, but you're willing to do that. You do your own dil- due diligence. Uh, it seemed like they, they might be able to make it. And look, they still might. Um, but I've got to say, this doesn't make me feel good that right. they have been associated with the bankless brand. Like you don't yeah. like to see one of your, um, one of the sponsors of your podcast being raided by the police for, right? for tax and money laundering. Yeah. Not great. Exactly. Uh, so even though the scope of their ad was like short and very limited, um, I gotta say, I mean, I think you and I have talked about this and, and mm-hmm. we regret it. Um, yeah. so we wouldn't do it again. I mean, I think there were some lessons learned in, in sort of all CFI lenders, uh, coming out of, of 2022. And it's, it's something that like very few of them are on solid ground. If any of them are on solid ground. Um, I will say if you kind of like zoom out and look at the discernment we've had on sponsors just in general, um, I felt pretty good about yeah. our discernment with picking sponsors yeah. up until this point, <laughs> you yeah. know, like, um, this is an industry that's incredibly hard to navigate, right? Like, you know how we end every podcast with, like crypto is risky. You could lose everything. Um, even picking sponsors, like we don't know risky, yeah. which ones mm-hmm. might have smart contract bugs or shady mm-hmm. spo- you know, found, uh, founders. And we try to do our best. Uh, in this case, I think this was a, a probably a big fat fail and I definitely regret it. Um, and mm-hmm. so apologies to anyone we may have let down with this one. Uh, you could tell like David and I are not perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do try our best. Um, we, we hope and we think that the good outweighs the bad generally on bankless. I would take this one back if, if we could. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I hope you guys know we're not going to get everything right on bankless, but we're going to continue to, to do our best. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that, David. Yeah. I just trying to put myself back into the shoes that we were going into Q3, uh, Q4 2022 was when we signed on, on Nexo. Uh, like of course the, the taste of centralized borrowing and lending desks weren't, was not good at that time. And so like it was, it was a conversation that we had it's like, is, is this the right sponsor? And using the calculus of like, well, Nexo wanted to buy everything that Celsius would give them, uh, uh, before they got outbid by FTX. And so to me, that was like, oh, that's the, we just went through the acid test of who, who was over leveraged and who was responsible. And Nexo kind of seemed like the responsible one. Um, so now, now that we have more information, turns out that that was incorrect. What was so crazy about it is David's like all of them failed. Yeah. Like that's, not that's one of the them. unreal thing is like not one borrowing and lending desk made it through 2022. They yeah. all blew up. And I was hopeful that there would still be some kind of good guys, uh, there that were able to make it and there just haven't been, mm. uh, anyway, we are leveling up. We're learning from this experience. I think as an industry, we're learning from this. Do not expect us to support any centralized lending companies uh, in 2023, probably right. ever again, unless mm-hmm. we get some sort of proof of reserve system down. And uh, we are being much more discerning. We're not going as fast when it comes to sponsor selection. And uh, we're adding some new dil- due diligence to the process. Yeah. And I think the last thing I'll say on this is like this whole 2022, like aside from like centralized companies blowing up, was a massive lesson for I think for all of the industry and definitely me as well, is the combination of just like, well, interest rates are very a very big deal, as it turns out. But also the idea of like how toxic yield is when it's like paired with a borrower on the other side and but that's like you know 
there's all there's a bunch of borrowing money markets are a thing in TradFi and they totally work in TradFi too. But it's the combination of like money markets, uh, you know, Gemini Earn, Genesis, like all that stuff. And then on the, what is downstream of that, which I did not appreciate until after all of this contagion happened, was like thousand APY pool twos and funny money printed out of thin air and basically the entire bull market, which was just like high yield and funny money. And then when all of those pool twos dried up and went to zero, like that just slowly worked through the system. And it didn't, it didn't really matter how responsible you were as a, as a money market. It was, there was too much hot air in the entire industry. And so every single centralized lender, lender, went insolvent and that, that's just like a, a, a lesson in economics that me and i think the entire industry learned this year yeah uh absolutely well speaking of of which i guess as we're long as we're talking about investigation <laughs> uh who is this guy yeah. i remember him from mm-hmm. some time last year but uh the stablecoin exchange uh saber mm-hmm. is under investigation by the doj as well who's this guy ian i believe his name is and dylan are they twin are they brothers I, I th- yes i think they're brothers yeah we reported on this a while ago you right. remember the story of the one or two like solana developers that spun up and saw oh, puppeted yes. like 12 different accounts. like DeFi apps on That's Solana right. and it and triggered a bunch of TVL and it was like responsible got for lost like, in all the scams last year. I'm right. sorry. I yes. almost forgot this yes. one. Yes. Right. This was, this was the one developer who was actually like 11 different pseudonymous developers that created all these like financial interlocking protocols that double in crypto, triple accounting, uh, counted, uh, crypto deposits. And it like inflated the Solana TVL by like, 40%. That guy, that guy, those two brothers are the, that's what we're talking about. Okay. Uh, those two brothers are under investigation. So Good. surprise. <laughs> that's great. That's, right, that's the story. One note on races, of course, is that, uh, startup funding levels are now their lowest mm-hmm. in almost two years. So VCs is about a 75% drop from last year in terms of funding activity. Look, I think that's a very healthy thing yeah, because the private time. valuations in crypto that, uh, that were out there and that we were seeing were absolutely Nuts. crazy. Yeah. And so they needed some cooling down. Um, and I think this is bullish and also not surprising. You have anything more to say on that? The numbers here is that VC firms invested $2.3 billion in crypto startups during this last quarter. It's a good number. Not a bad number, uh, but that is a 75% drop from the same period previous year. Mm. So like one interpretation is like, oh, VC funding is totally dried up. I think that's actually the wrong angle. You should it's say like, healthy. <laughs> VC funding was insane a year ago yeah, and now it's, it was- now it's just healthy. Yeah, it's, it was bad now and now it's, now it's much better. Yeah. Um, speak of which, there's still investment going on in crypto and there's still jobs to be had in crypto in particular. Bankless is hiring. We are looking for a director of business development. Got some sales experience. Come on, talk to us. Also, Uniswap Labs, senior software engineer. Webacy is software engineer over dApps. Webacy also a QA analyst. You can find these jobs. You go to bankless.palette.com slash jobs. Uh, All right. What do we got coming up next, David? Uh, We're going to get into questions from the Bankless Nation. Uh, And this is coming out of the Bankless Nation Discord, which, Ryan, did you know that we completely revamped the structure of the Bankless Nation Discord? 
I didn't know that. It's uh, looking pretty good. The conversation's hot. What's going on? Uh, what's the talk of the Discord this week? And, and by the way, how do people get into that Discord? Because it's uh, you, ca- you can't just uh, click a link, right? Uh, yeah, so there, there will be one soon, but there is a link in the show notes if you want to go into the Discord channel to ask Ryan and I questions, because every single Wednesday before we record this episode on Thursday, we go into the weekly Rollups questions channel. We at everyone and say, hey, what questions do you want us to read out on the weekly Rollups? Uh, and so uh, there's that there's that channel there's also a bunch of other channels uh, like I said we completely reorged them uh, so there's a, a lot of vitality being injected into the discord and so Ryan are you ready to get into questions okay so the first question is from Walshy uh, Walshy says the first crypto conference I ever went to was permissionless I guess that was last year sorry to ask you somewhat shill your own conference <laughs> I'm so glad okay. you asked <laughs> uh, but I had an absolute blast and it was my first real web3 social experience everyone I met was so warm and the vibe is best described as welcoming and galvanizing I learned so much by following your advice and taking as many people as possible to all of the talks and booths and meetings and everything else. What could we expect from Permissionless V2 in Austin later this year? And uh, where, so it's in Austin. Uh, When is Permissionless V2 and what can people expect, David? Yeah, Permissionless 2023 coming in hot in uh, September 11th through 13th of uh, 2023. That's this year. So you got, uh, eight more months to come. Uh, it's going to be a lot bigger. Was, the, the biggest take I heard was when I told people that permissionless was a first year conference last year, it was like, what? Uh, which is, I'm super proud of that fact. And the, I know the Blockworks team feels similarly. So, I mean, 20, the second round of permissionless, permissionless 2023 is just going to be that much bigger and better because it'll be our second time doing this. Uh, so we got Eric Voorhees locked in as a keynote speaker. We got Mary Catherine Lauder from Uniswap. We got Justin Drake, of course, coming back. Hazu's coming in. Donnie's coming in. Zachy Mannion's coming in. And we're just, you know, we're st- eight months out. So we haven't locked in even all like the big super Chad speakers that we really want to, uh, which is to say nothing about how Chad Eric Voorhees is. Um, and so I'm super stoked for, for everything that we're going to do. There's also this year going to be a hackathon as well. And so that is the sh- uh, shiny, sparkly new thing uh, out of Permissionless. There's going to be a hackathon leading up to this, uh, which I'm pretty stoked for. And there there's one thing that I think people should appreciate about hackathons they're pretty considered they're considered dev oriented right these are developers to go compete for prizes but a hackathon with a non-dev person who can communicate extremely well who can make a pitch deck who can present a non-technical person i mean is uh super appreciative and devs kind of often devs need somebody to do that that lift for them so if you are a non-technical person but you want to get involved in like very big projects come out of hackathons. Earnify, what is now called Bankless Labs, came out of a hackathon. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, and in addition to the actual conference, which is going to be some great talks, I'm sure Ryan and I are going to moderate a ton of them. Uh, there's there's the hackathon, and then there's also the side events. There will, of course, be the Bankless Meetup, uh, we are organizing for the inner circle. If you for the Bankless uh, Nation Discord, if you are in there, if you're a premium member, we're going to organize a meetup at East Denver. We'll be doing the same thing uh, in in uh, at Permissionless in Texas. And also, tickets are going on sale every single week. A new batch of tickets is going out. Actually, just went out. Uh, prices go up every two weeks. So the longer that you procrastinate and don't get your ticket, the more that you pay more money. So you can go if you know that you want to go to Permissionless in September. Uh, definitely get your ticket now. There's a link in the show notes to get that done. Uh, the way that 
makes the most sense to get that ticket is to upgrade bankless premium, by the way. Right. And uh, when you do that, you get part of the, you get into the discord we were just talking about and uh, you also get 30% off that ticket. So it kind of pays for itself. Bankless premium go pays for itself because 30% off a permissionless is more than a year's of bankless premium. Um, the next question is with people in crypto companies having PTSD from all the cascades of liquidations, will people be less inclined to take such leverage risk next time? I hope the answer is yes, but at the same time, I wonder if that will make the next bull run less explosive. What chance do you think there will be a next bull run that does not bring new all-time highs? Are we going to get a muted bull run? Are we ever going to see all-time high again? What do you think about that, David? And this question is from Yeti77. Thank you for the question. Uh, I think people will totally ape right back into leverage as soon as the bull market comes back. Part of the fact that we are not in a bull market, part of the fact that like prices are more stable, they're less volatile, they're also lower, is a symptom of people taking less leverage. Because when people take leverage, they mint money out of thin air and then they use that money to buy crypto assets and that makes the crypto assets go up in price. Uh, and so the fact that people aren't doing that is why we have settled down to these new lower prices of $2,400 or $1,400 Ether and $1,800, uh, $18,000 Bitcoin. Um, we're kind of monkey brains. People that participate in markets are using their reptile brains. Uh, and so as soon as uh, people get bullish, people are not going to be able to think rationally. They're going to ape right back into leverage. Some of them will be able to make money. Many of them will not. Um, but uh, what does the chance that the next bull run does not bring new all-time highs? Uh, depends on what crypto asset you're talking about. Uh, I won't consider it a bull run until we do reach new all-time highs, however. Uh, and the fact, the idea that Ether and Bitcoin won't reach new all-time highs again, I ascribe 0% chance to. 1% chance for Bitcoin. Yeah, it's basically if that happens, then kind of crypto's dead. It's just like, uh, if you believe like it's going to hit another bull run, it the, like the, the contrary bet to, to all of this is like you betting against fundamental human nature. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To, to think that another bull market won't play out like the last, you know, three or four in crypto, it'll play out similar. The, the, there will be some differences. It could be longer. There could be different highs or lows, but like fundamentally we're just, we're just looking at fractals and we'll see the exact same fractal play out in the, in the next bull market. And if you, if you think that we won't hit all-time highs, it's kind of be- because you think crypto is already peaked. Is that zero? And if you think we peaked at how many mi- 150 right. million p- people around the world uh, that own crypto, mm-hmm. how many people are in DeFi right now? I mean, the population of a large city, I don't know, maybe five to ten million, something like that. Like it's relatively small. If that's our peak, wow, <laughs> I would be blown away, surprised. We we are just scratching the surface. Yeah. We're still in this early adopter phase, so. Um, you have to be patient. Here's the thing. This market will also test your, your, your faith or your belief in that yeah. because you'll see some jumps and then it'll hit something and it's not quite all time high. And then you'll go back down and there'll be apathy for like yeah. weeks and months and be like, well, maybe it was all over. Right. Maybe Bankless was wrong about this. Maybe the thesis is not playing out how maybe I thought. Maybe ETH isn't going to 10K. Oh no. No, maybe none of those things. It's you just have to be patient is the thing. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's coming from you know, somebody who, uh, has we've been through a couple of these cycles. I felt these same things. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked that same question that you're asking last cycle, and um, I guess I just um, I feel like I know how it's going to play out for the next cycle. Not exactly, but um, I get, I'm making the bet for sure. Uh, David, we got another question from Zen Mode. Uh, 
how do you think the Shanghai upgrade will impact LSD narratives, STETH dominance versus RETH is the question from uh, Zen Mode here. Yeah, so this is definitely in vogue in conversation in the Ethereum land is is like, all right, what are when withdrawals are unlocked, what's going to happen? Like, what are the narratives? Um, I think we were talking a little bit about, about this last week. Lido has a ton of ETH that is locked in its vaults that becomes unlockable. And so we are going to see how much of that Lido staked ETH gets withdrawn, how much of that withdrawals goes into other liquid staking derivatives like Rocket Pool, uh, StakeWise, maybe centralized providers, hopefully not. Um, and so like, that's what, like Rocket Pool super hungry for some of Lido's ETH. Like if you're a Rocket Pool bull, you think that that's going to become your staked ETH uh, inside of Rocket Pool. And the only reason why it's not already is because we haven't enabled withdrawals. Um, and so the, these the people are like, you know, they're all chomping at the bit to get uh, to eat at Lido's, uh, Lido's ether. And Lido's probably like, you guys aren't going to get any of my ether. Like you, these are, this is my ether. You're not getting any of it. Uh, and so this is really like the, the fight that's going on right now. Yeah. I, I just wanted to find some terms for people, right? To make this a little 101. How do you think the Shanghai upgrade? Shanghai is an Ethereum upgrade that is probably coming the end of this quarter or early next quarter. That will enable people to unlock their staked ETH. Okay. So that's what the question is asking. Will impact LSD narratives? That is liquid stake, staking derivative narratives for two specific protocols. That is liquid staked ETH and liquid staked, uh, rocket pool ETH. Liquid staking is basically just like once you stake your ETH, um, you have the ability to, uh, then use that staked ETH as a token. Mm-hmm. Do other cool DeFi things. You can hold it in your wallet. You can um, you know, trade uh, against it. So it's it's actually fully liquid. It's not staked. It doesn't feel like it's locked anymore. It's a token representation of that stake. And I do think you're right, David. It's just, we've talked about this on Bankless. This is kind of a snow globe moment mm-hmm. for uh, liquid staking, which is like, you're going to shake the snow globe again. And then all the kind of the, um, the snowflakes are going to just fall in different places. Uh, I don't think it's going to be just down to these two, right? Uh, Lido versus Rocket Pool. Right. You mentioned a couple of new entrants. I, I'm aware of a slew of new entrants. There's as a well. bunch of startups. Uh, some are in stealth mode. Some are about to ship they to mainnet. They all know yeah. this date, and they're yeah. hungry, and they mm-hmm. know the market's going to reopen right. uh, after the Shanghai upgrade, and right. they're chomping at the bit. So, uh, big opportunity Let here. The games why begin. The games are just beginning. That's right. Yeah. All right. Um, speaking of which, David, let's get to some takes of the week. Are you ready for the first one? Yeah, let's do it. Let's All right. Do it. Take of the week. This is from Lal. I will read the tweet out. Lal says, there are a dozen or so Nike swoosh level memes that could emerge from independent crypto artists in the next decade. Artists is leveraging the power of Creative Commons IP and immutable tech to compete with behemoth institutions. Here are a few in the running at this time. What are we looking at here? So this, these are the noggles, the nouns goggles, the nouns glasses. Absolutely iconic. They were in a Super Bowl. Coming up next, I actually don't know what this one is. Uh, this is cow with a shadow. Not iconic for David and I yet. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Uh, the, this is an MFR, which I'm a huge fan of. And this is X copy, right? So these are some of the very identifiable, very decentralized headless brands. And this kind of goes back to uh, the conversation about uh, the, the talent agency out of Moonbirds versus a headless brand like MFers. I'm a big fan of the headless brand movement. Uh, I think MFers. It's cool. It's new. I think they MFers are so iconic and so recognizable that calling them the, the decentralized Nike swoosh brand of Web3, I think is a great take. Uh, and that's why I put it in here. 
Look yeah. at that guy. Uh. Look at that guy. He's so cute. He's just being a little MFer, you know? Just like minding knows his own business, duping I, around I, on his computer. What's cool about this is um unlike unlike the swoosh, like no one owns it, right? I mean Nike owns the IP of the swoosh and they're gonna do the contracts with all the athletes to plus up the swoosh and make it cool. Um it's up to these communities to kind of do that. It's it's just a completely fundamentally new model that um do you remember the take of um the professor we had on uh, a week or two ago and talking about copyright yeah brian fry he's basically like nfts may kill copyright you may not need it any longer and um you know if if he's right about that then i definitely think something is going to emerge as a nike swoosh probably even bigger uh chris berninski says if i had to guess this rally has legs People were so downcast near the bottom that lots are par- probably poorly positioned, may end up chasing it They can't cat- if they can't take the FOMO. Doesn't mean we won't get a retest later, but a hated rally for a time makes the most sense here. What do you think? So he is, quote, retweeting DC Investor, who is saying, I'd prefer if no one really trusted this rally. So people are going back and forth and like, all right, like Ether is up like a couple hundred dollars. Bitcoin's up a couple thousand dollars. Ooh, we're bullish. We're bullish. I'm definitely <laughs> guilty of this it's as back well. back on, baby. But Chris Berniski is saying, if I had to guess, this rally has legs, implying that there's a real movement here. Like, people were overly bearish, and now, they, because we stopped going down, people are saying, well, if we're stopping going, if we're going to stop going down, does that mean we're going to go up? And that's what is happening. Uh, and so Chris is just saying, people were overly bearish. Uh, and so this rally is real. Spike up. And then a retest. Yeah, probably. probably. That's yeah. how it's played out in the past. Yeah. So we were light on the takes this week. So I'm just going to ask you a question, David, that I'm curious about because we never discussed this. Um, now that we're in 2023, we can look back and zoom out and reflect on 2022. Um, do you regret it? Would you wipe out the year 2022 in crypto if you could? This is very like deep philosophical question i think because like all right uh would you go back and erase world war ii like would you go back and erase the kill baby hitler yeah kill baby hitler i might kill baby hitler (laughs) i might do that but but then like if i didn't i kind of my philosophy on this is like okay if i did kill baby hitler there would just be another one later right like you actually don't solve the problem he wasn't the problem. There was a deeper root problem, right? Like there was mob mentality in the twenties and thirties that created the space for that. Right. And so so, there's a take like from history, which is like, um, look, uh, it was inevitable. Something like that was inevitable. I mean, the shape of it was definitely shaped by the person, but Mm -hmm. there's some inevitability about the lesson that people need to learn at that time. Something like this. So like who was the biggest villain of 2022? It was like SBF, right? So would, would I delete FTX and SBF? Well, like, sure. But then it would just create a, like, it would just leave the door open for a different person to do the same exact thing. Right. And so humans, we learn through pain. If everyone is feeling very in, uh, has a mindset of pain right now and loss because a lot of their hard earned money is now worth a lot less. Like this is a lesson that you are now going to learn. And if we didn't learn this as an industry in 2022, then we were just going to learn it at a different time. And maybe it would actually be even more painful. And so I'm not really one to say that like 2022 brought nothing of value. It definitely brought hardship. Um, you know, that meme of like good times, uh, hard times yeah. breed, breed strong people, strong people produce good times, good times produce weak people, weak people produce hard times. I just see us going through that cycle and you can't skip 
forward in that cycle. Like you have to experience for better or for worse, all parts of it. I agree with that. I I, I just don't have a dissenting uh, opinion on that. I think 2022 needed to happen. It was ultimately, it was, uh, it was healthy. It's going to be good for us. Uh, long-term we have to kind of zoom out and, um, with all of this stuff, you have to take the, uh, the, the bad with the good. Um, I, I just look at the way we were entering 2023 and I contrast that with the way we entered 2022 and, uh, the way we entered 2022 was very, very deeply, fundamentally unhealthy. It felt like kind of a, just a different kind of community that, um, was not in touch with the, the utility it was providing to the world and was not in touch with its core values. And I feel coming into 2023, like we've restored some of that. Yeah. It's more quiet. Yeah. We don't have the kind of the mainstream attention, but guess what? We haven't deserved it yet. We're still in the, the, you know, like the early years of this decade. So, um, let's go and earn it. So I'm actually happy that 2022 happened. Um, it's, you know, unfortunate. A lot of people got hurt. If, if you could win these lessons without that, I mean, that would be amazing, but I just don't think life works like that. At least, um, yeah, I just, uh, I've always learned through my mistakes and through, um, like, you know, kind of problems, as long as they're not catastrophic, uh, then, uh, then we can kind of learn and rebuild and, and move on and, and be stronger. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I, I didn't yeah. know what your take would be though, but that's, uh, it's interesting that that's what it is. So the only thing I, I, I want to add on to this is, is this is, should always be a moment of reflection. Like bull markets make people think and do things and become a different person. Everyone's a different person in the middle of a manic bull market. Uh, and so you should think about how did that bull market change you as an investor, as a, as a person, as a character? How did it change your personality? And how perhaps did that impact your decisions to buy or sell? Like, did you, did you FOMO into that NFT? You should have a self-reflective moment as to like, how did that impact me? Because we are going to do it again. And if you are not in more deeper touch with yourself that because of this last bull market that we went through, you perhaps will make the same exact mistakes that you made uh, last bull cycle. Um, so that'll be my one my one message about that. All right, man. So what are you bullish on this week, David? Uh, well, uh, this is going to be a moment where I'm glad that I'm going first because I know that you and I are bullish. You took on mine, the, didn't you? The, the same thing, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> okay. we just recorded this episode with uh, Wayne from uh, Spruce ID, which is the organization working on the sign-in with Ethereum standard. Uh, it was a good episode, a yes. really, really good episode. Uh, I think it's going to be one of these episodes that like embeds itself into listeners' brains. They're probably going to be thinking about it for a very long time, about its implications, and they're going to realize that they are here for the tech uh, because uh, I think the, te- the best take out of that, that episode is that Google, Facebook, Apple are just banks for our identity and our data. So there's you got the banks of TradFi, but the banks of Silicon are banks for your data and your identity. Uh, and this has all been a part of the grand crypto vision, uh, first money, then identity. Yeah, uh, look, you took mine, so I'm just going to plus one. I know that. I did. I'm um, sorry, <laughs> but look, our brains are in sync on this. I I, I think we we both feel that um, the time of like for identity for decentralized identity is like is here. It's just like firing up. It's like mm-hmm. it's like 2016 again, the birth of Ethereum and smart contracts and programmable money. Now we have this decentralized programmable identity uh, type of primitive taking hold. And uh, I, I feel strongly, David, that like identity could be just as important, just as profound, if not maybe in some ways more profound than than money, than taking back money. 
Uh, and uh, this is a technology that I, I think I, I support. I believe it's it's net good for for the world. What's nice about this too is the signing with Ethereum. There's no bags to shell. There's no token. All right. And like, how can anybody be mad about this uh, external to crypto? It's literally a net good Mm -hmm. created. It's a public good created as a byproduct of the existence of Ethereum. Mm -hmm. If Ethereum didn't exist, I don't think we could have a, a decentralized identity tool like signing with Ethereum. And if, by the way, you don't know what we're talking about right now at this point, why this is so great or why David and I are so excited about it, Stay tuned for that episode. I mm-hmm. think it's coming out not next week. Next week is Tyler Cowan mm-hmm. uh, on Monday, but the week after, I think, is when we have yes. this slated, David. Yeah, but it'll be next week for Bankless Premium subscribers who get the uh, early release. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, you you tell us if you think it's an, as important as a, an episode and a topic as we do. So, yeah. uh, David, meme of the week. What do we got this week? Meme of the week. Meme of the week. I saw this one on Twitter. We might have actually done this meme before. I think we have. But since it was a CPI print day today, uh, we're bringing this meme back. Uh, and it's the meme of uh, the Chad human looking at a monkey. The Chad human is saying, you're such a dumb animal. And then the monkey responds, you're waiting for the Fed to tell you how much your how much value your anti-establishment digital currency will lose. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, we are kind of doing that. We are subject to the gravitational forces of the Fed, aren't we? Um, but that's the system we're trying to disrupt. We're just not there yet. Yeah, we got a long way to go. Uh, stay tuned for the moment of Zen this week, by the Great way. Great moment of Zen. Hot. If you are listening to this on the podcast, it's a good song, but it is an even greater video. So definitely watch it on Twitter, uh, which is where it's hosted. Uh, and that's that. Well, I'll end as I always do. Uh, Risks and disclaimers, of course, crypto is risky. So is DeFi. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Terra Luna brought us crashing to the ground. And the Fed raised rates and they kicked us, we were down. Voyager and Celsius died with the whimper sound. But we said GM, we said GM. SBF and FDX, Caroline Light. Acts and hey, losses, hey, pumping bank crime. Hey, we didn't take profits at the right time. But we said GM, we said GM, GM.
dead candles and heart attacks. Capitulate, forced to sell our stacks. Through all the fat fingers and the hacks. We said GM, and we said GM. You don't need help when the dominant trend is up and to the right. 